Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds and Representative Clay Higgins. You'll remember him as having worked for the worst Senate podcaster from the great state of Texas, Lion Ted Cruz. Clay Higgins says, Jack Smith's days are numbered. They are, in fact, not. We have such a great show for you today. Congressman Eric Swalwell tells us about how Dems are actually running the government. What? Since the Republicans are too dysfunctional to do it for themselves. Then we'll talk to yet another congressman, my personal friend, Robert Garcia, about the expulsion of congressmen and Botox enthusiast. I'm not casting aspersions here. George Santos. But first, we have host of The Next Level, The Bulwarks, Tim Miller. Welcome back to Fast Politics, the funniest and the most attractive. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim Miller. Oh, this is so much pressure now. You know, I got to be funny. And attractive. Yeah, well, I, at least I don't no have to be attractive on audio. People can imagine how attractive <laughs> I look right now. I'm out, I'm, I was in Costa Rica last week. I got a little tan. So just picture that. Imagine me with a few more muscles than I really have. We were talking about the sort of Republican Party. So this is an amazing moment in a strange way because you have like the Koch brothers. Last cycle, they did not endorse a candidate in a general. They had five people who were their preferred picks, all of whom were not Donald Trump. So basically everyone but Donald Trump. Try and imagine with me the internal panic in the Koch network as they decided they just had to endorse Nikki Haley. I mean, Talk me through what happened here, because it's amazing. 
Yeah, I think that there's some face saving happening. Um, I, I, you know, Charles Koch does not like Donald Trump. Um, yes. And so I guess I want to just clear the decks with this. It's better to oppose Donald Trump than to be for him. So yes. kudos right. to Good you, point. Charles Koch. I'm not really one to give kudos for those sorts of things. That said, this doesn't feel like a real effort to beat Donald Trump. You know, like you put out this memo from the big donors and their strategists talking about how you're endorsing Nikki Haley. And, you know, I'm kind of like, well, that wasn't really that helpful, actually. Republican voters hate the big donors. So uh, did you need to make a big announcement about it? Like, couldn't you have just started running ads? And then you see the ads and they're not so aggressive. I did an X post. I know I, I still am weak and I go to X sometimes. I'm also on threads. I'm not casting dispersions. Look, we are content makers. We are not better than anything. Thank you. Period. Paragraph. No offense or anything. <laughs> no, we're not. We're the bottom of the barrel as right. far as dignified <laughs> work is concerned. <laughs> We would have a union, but it would be too sad. Yeah. So a South Carolina blogger I follow posted a picture of the first door hanger that they saw from the Coke Network's pro-Haley effort. And it's just like, vote Nikki Haley. It's a picture of her with her arms crossed. Reclaim the American dream. Fiscal responsibility. <laughs> energy potential. Secure the border. And then that's it. And I'm like, who thinks this is going to work? This just seems like some rich guys saying, like, instead of giving money to, I don't know, unhoused youth or something useful, I'm just going to make sure that my friends know that I kind of did something to try to stop Donald Trump. And so we're going to run this generic pro-Haley campaign that is maybe marginally helpful at best, maybe actively harmful, actually, because, yeah. you know, you can, I was like, talking about this and Charlie, God love him, Charlie Sykes, like, wrote a, a thing yesterday for the bulwark that's like that, that, like this matters it's better than not and i agree with that but then like right after i see him on my feed the next post is from insane maga person i follow with like a million <laughs> followers and they're like democrats and open borders donors go in for nikki Haley." and i'm like the crazy person that i follow like more republican primary voters are reading that person than charlie like there's some so anyway long story short i guess it's something it's better than nothing but I had a fun fact that I saw this morning. I'm supposed to be following this stuff, but so whenever I get surprised by a fact, I feel like I like to share it because the uh, listeners probably don't know it. I'm going to quiz you, actually. I think this tells you more about the state of the Republican Party than the Koch decision. Molly Junk fast. How many Republican senators, congressmen, and governors active do you think have endorsed Nikki Haley's presidential campaign? Combined. Governors, oh, House members, senators. Not many. <laughs> It's one. It's one from our state. Only one. And and it's like, these are the people that are actually in the political game, right? It's like the donors are wish casting. The cable pundits are wish casting. The strategists are just saying, please don't make me have to work for daddy. Yeah, they're cashing checks and they're they're like hoping against hope that maybe a lightning strike will hit Mar-a-Lago, right? But the people that are actually in politics and need to get support from Republican voters, none of them are for Nikki. And now I'm sure in the next month, you know, whoever, Mitt Maybe. will come out and like right, Susan Mitt, Collins yeah. or somebody. But, you know, so she'll she'll get up to four or something. But <laughs> the, and the one is from her state. There's zero for people outside of her state. We're six weeks away from Iowa. This is the big Nikki momentum week. 
And so, mate, whatever. Even if this comes out this afternoon and we're like, and Nikki O's campaign's like, we're making a big announcement. It's our congressional leadership team, and it's like six people. It's like, still, that's like nobody. I mean, one person? Like, this party is a cult. And it's the same day I saw this fact. It's one day after Elise Stefanik is in their meeting saying, you got to put the Trump badge on your email. And if you get the Trump badge on your email, you'll get more donations, right? I mean, it's like Ponzi scheme stuff. The thing I was struck by was watching Nikki Haley talking in Iowa about how important it was that they had to reform Social Security and Medicare. And I was like, really? I was like, because that worked so well for Paul Ryan. I mean, I actually don't think it's true. But even if it is true, which, again, why things that are true matter here, who even knows, right? I just wonder, like, you don't win elections. You got Trump giving people heroin and Nikki Haley is like, no, that's really bad for you. Yeah, give some broccoli. Yeah, I mean, look, I used to be a Republican. I'm f- if we want to reform Social Security so some rich people don't get as much to make it a little more solvent, okay, I'm fine with that. You know, I don't. That, so right. I hope my dad. I don't think my dad listens to your podcast. <laughs> I don't think he needs to get to cash in on his Social Security. We can put that back in the trust fund. That's fine. He did well for himself. By the way, people hate that. Rich people. I know. Hate that. Rich people hate that. Regular people hate that. Old people hate that because like they're coming for me next. It's so amazing because I know so many rich people who are like, I have to. Have my social security and i'm like you know you have a plane you know or like you have a boat right you could just not use the boat i mean why are you entitled to that anyway go on sorry this is where like my communist tendencies and my and and my free market tendencies kind of match together i'm like i like i don't like rich people but i also think we should have a balanced budget anyway where was i you got me distracted talking about privatization of social security okay (laughs) here we are here's the important thing in your observation which is is what do Republican voters want? And this ties directly back to the Coke thing and to Nikki Haley's policy prescriptions. The Republican voters have spoken with unanimity that they hate the Koch brothers' political agenda. They do not like, you know, being more open to immigrants. They do not like reforming our entitlements. They do not care about corporate tax cuts. Okay. This Republican party cares about woke stuff, the border, being mean to immigrants, being mean to liberals, you know, making fun of cat ladies in New York. Like that is what this Republican party cares about. They have full-throatedly rejected the agenda put forth by the Kochs and Paul Ryan and Karl Rove and my old people and Nikki Haley. And so it's like, why then do we have to pretend like an endorsement from the people that the the voters have already rejected over and over again matters. If we could go into an imaginary world where Nikki Haley won because Donald Trump ate the cheeseburger of my dreams, I, that's fine with me. That's great. <laughs> I, I, I'm probably still going to vote for Joe Biden. Anybody that worked for Donald Trump does not pass my one issue to Trump derangement syndrome litmus test. But like, it would be much better for our society. But it's just like, it's, we also have to live in reality. And, and the reality is Republican voters don't like this stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a really good point. You're trying to appeal to something that doesn't exist. So basically what you think how this plays out, and again, we're not supposed to predict the future because as Margaret Sullivan said rightly, and I I quoted her in my column about how bad polls are and how they get us focused on the wrong things. We are bad at predicting the future, but... That said, this is like in AA when you say you're not going to crosstalk and then you just crosstalk. But it does seem like this is a last ditch effort to try to pour money into a possible non-Trumpy future that won't work. 
It is a last-ditch effort, and she is a more appealing candidate than DeSantis, just just candidate skills-wise, putting aside policy elements. But, yeah, it's just the math is very – like Trump is over 50, right? And, and, you know, I was doing this – I did this for the teens. If you have any teens in your life, I have a Snapchat (laughs) show for teens. It's called Not My Party. You just tell them to download Snapchat. It's it's got a lot of memes. It goes for like three minutes. And then it's like, yeah, Yeah, it's like, I'll say one sentence and then it'll be Timothy Chamolet will pop in, you know, to keep him interested. (laughs) I know a social media network is popular when my teens tell me, please never go on it. There you go. So don't go on if you're a parent. But if you have a teen in your life that likes politics, tell them to check out Not My Party. I did the math for the teens this week. And it's like, let's do the bull case for Nikki, right? It's just like Christy gets out and endorses her and she gets all his support right. and Doug Burgum gets out and, and whoever else is left. I don't, I don't even know. Like, and, and we, she gets their 2%. And then a handful of good natured Democrats and independents cross the aisle to go vote for her, which bumps her up even more. And then she gets a little momentum bump of a few points. It's still like really hard to get to 50. You know, because Trump's over 50 and that is in New Hampshire, a good state, you know, because it has independents that vote and there's a lot of, you know, kind of flinty Northeasterners that don't really aren't really into the Trump thing that are more moderate. You go down to the South. I mean, here in Louisiana, the last poll I saw had it was Trump 75, DeSantis 8, Nikki 4. How does she get from 4 to 60? So, yeah, it's a last ditch effort. But the math is just very the math is very challenging. Yeah. And it is also so interesting to me because like DeSantis... I mean, I think the chances of him now being the nominee are like zero, right? I mean, do you think that's fair? I mean, I guess they're less than zero because <laughs> a slight, uh, no, God, oh, that would have been funnier. I guess they're slightly more than zero because uh, I'd Brett Easton Ellis in my mind because, you know, Trump could die. I mean, he's not gonna, but we can all, whatever. Trump could die. And then, I don't know, in a head-to-head with him and Nikki, if Trump dies, uh, maybe Vivek would take it, actually. It's hard to know what would happen <laughs> with the Trump cultists in that scenario. So I, I would call it, let's give him, let's, we'll do this so you're saying there's a chance for DeSantis. We'll give him, we'll give him a 0.8% chance based on death and other unforeseen instances. But what is important about DeSantis, I think, is that he shows that this is not about policy, that these Trump supporters, you can't win them on policy. No, I mean, you can lose them on policy, I guess. Right. There's like a negative yeah, polarization, right? Like yes. if, you, if your policies feel like the policies of the George Bush era or of the libs or too nice or Rashida Tlaib, right? Like you can do things and say things about policy that turn them off. But you can't go give them a checklist of MAGA agenda items. You know, like I will build the moat with the alligators in it and I will whatever, you know, take away MSNBC's carriage rights. I will say nice things about Kim Jong-un. But like you can't like you can't do a positive list. That doesn't work. It's about it's a, there's a, there's more to it. We've now entered the young guns section of the podcast right. where we make fun of the young guns. I'm sorry. I know that you know some of the young guns into I have to tell you, can we? This probably won't make the actual podcast, but can I tell you? I had to spend <laughs> no, a full day. I had to spend a full day with Eric Cantor in New Hampshire with Jeb, <laughs> and he was one of the most dour individuals I've ever encountered in my life. And he was so negative and so sad and so pedantic. And, 
and we're about halfway through the day. It's like the car, we have a driver, and it's Jeb, and it's me, and it's Eric Cantor. We're just driving from event to event. And like in between the Eric second Cantor, and the third. the of, least famous of the young guys. Yeah, continue. Yeah. In, in between the second and the third event, I get on the phone to the campaign manager, and I was like, I don't ever want to see Eric Cantor in the car for another fucking day the rest of this campaign. Okay. He is just making Jeb sad, and like, he, and none of the voters like him. Just send him to a donor meeting or something. I never want to see him in the car again. So anyway, that's my Young Guns story. <laughs> is making Jed sad. So Young Guns was the book that Eric Cantor, the least famous of the group, <laughs> but probably the most attractive, possibly, but know. the most depressed. I kind of like Kevin McCarthy's Muppet face. I don't know if I had to pick. <laughs> Kevin McCarthy and Paul Ryan wrote a book, the three of them together. And now it seems as if Kevin McCarthy is on it. So he's on a sort of trying to get a cable news contributorship tour at this point, I think, because you saw somebody leaked that he told Trump, fuck you on the phone, maybe discuss. Yeah, he has been humiliated. To me, it's kind of been shocking that he stuck around to keep taking the pain. And like he like does <laughs> interviews, like he does these gaggles on the, in Congress, and he looks so sad. I mean, I don't feel sad for him. He's made his bed. But he does. Right, yeah. it looks really sad. It's like if I was him, I would just stay in my office. And only come out when absolutely necessary and start and start like calling Jamie Dimon or whoever's going to hire me to be a lobbyist. I don't know. But uh, I did see that. I guess he told Trump whatever F off after Trump didn't want to help him on the speakership. I hope that happened because it's just right. really funny. You know, it's really it's like it's really funny. I mean, you just you begged, you groveled, you gave him the right color starburst. You went down to right. see him when he was sad. And then like the one time you need him, Trump's like, fuck you. That is such an allegory. And, you know, Mark, he's like, well, no, fuck you. And it's like, sorry, too late. But you, you finally found your backbone after you've lost everything. Like that is a great allegory for the Trump era. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's so clear to me how you cannot do business with Trump, you cannot trust him. But again, Santos, it sounds like we're not going to future cast, but I'm not sure you can count on Santos's vote. So that gets him down to four or three. Then if McCarthy resigns early, which he's threatening to, that gets him down to two or three. That's not a huge majority. I'm sorry. I'm not a mathematician here, but that seems like less than four <laughs> or five. Yeah, it does seem like less. There's some oldies in that Congress. I know it's kind of a macabre <laughs> podcast here, but, you know, who knows? I could keep dropping. Yeah, it's not good. He's not going to be able to pass anything. And these guys are already out, out to get him. Who knows? Maybe they'll decide an election year. It's worth waiting it out. I always said when McCarthy got the job and when Johnson got the job, I was like, look, the Jackals will give the, them a leash of one or two times where they have to get Democrats to get a vote passed before, you know, the sort of Bannon conservative media world starts to come for them. Right. So Johnson might have one other one other. He's, he's already done to do it once. He might have one other budget vote where they let him do it. But like they can't pass anything. We all lived through this. They are dysfunctional. They are incapable of passing anything on their own. To pass any legislation, they need Democrats. And eventually, the right-wingers then will use that against them. Or I to call them right-wingers, kind of say whatever. The MAGA nihilist freaks will use the fact that they had to ask Democrats for help to come for them. So, you know, we're kind of in a never-ending cycle on this. Yeah. Unbelievable stuff. Just give me the TLDR on we have a sort of like run up to this caucus, Super Tuesday. I mean, you just expect more drama. 
I mean, more sound and noise signifying nothing, if that makes sense. From the the few Republicans, you know, like they're going to have sort of a primary-ish, right? I mean, even though nobody can win against Trump, they'll still go through the motions until Super Tuesday. I guess. I, yeah. I mean, yes, they're still going to go through the motions. They think Nikki's going to run through the tape. I think that all of these people who have fantasies about what the party is, what we've been discussing, there is some argument, right, for Nikki to try to get a clear second so that then in 2028, maybe people turn their eyes to her. I, again, I don't I don't think that's going to happen because that misunderstands the party. But, you know, people right. have other rationales for keeping going. Yeah. And and I talked to a, a DeSantis super PAC guy. Boy, this was three or four months ago now. But he was quite candid with me that he was like, we really don't know what's going to happen with the Jack Smith trial. And, and he's like, there's kind of an argument if you're DeSantis. Now, this is when things were looking a little better for him. So maybe the calculus <laughs> has changed. But at that time, he was saying there's an argument for sticking around and getting seconds and thirds and getting some delegates because who knows, right? Like there is a, this big known unknown out there of, of of like how what happens if Trump gets convicted before the convention. I don't really think that would change anything necessarily, but I do think that all of that Trump weirdness, uh, you know, and the fact that we're in uncharted waters is going to mean at least Nikki, maybe DeSantis, maybe Christie. I don't, I don't know. I hope not. Uh, it's he, it's it's past time for him to get out. But maybe some of these people will stick around just just as a back to the dumb and dumber for the. So you're saying this for chance purposes. You know? <laughs> Tim Miller, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you, Molly. Let's do it again soon. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? 
There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Congressman Eric Swalwell represents California's 14th District. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Congressman Eric Swalwell. Molly, thanks for having me back. Well, it's very exciting to have you. I've had you on this podcast so many times when you were in the majority. And now that you are in the shit show that is the minority, the minority is not the shit show. The majority of this 118th Congress is the shit show. But wow. I mean, what is it like to work there? Honestly, we're the firewall. In fact, we are the majority. What are you talking about? The Debt ceiling, the (laughs) CDRs that we've passed, the majority of the votes came from Democrats. So Hugh Jeffries on on the shit that matters is the speaker. Yes, exactly. Molly, I would just say this is why these elections are are so critical. The the red wave was supposed to wipe us out. And instead, you know, it ended up being a very narrow majority for the Republicans in the House. By the way, the same number that Pelosi had. And it looked like, you know, she did it with ease as far as like the landmark legislation she passed and a couple seat majority in the Senate. But because we stemmed that red wave, we have been able, you know, to be the firewall in the Congress. And, and, and so for anyone who, you know, was down about Democrats losing the House, you know, we didn't lose it by that much. And, and we are united. And, and that unity has given us a lot of leverage to protect uh, so many of the rights that your viewers care about. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. But I want to talk about the insanity of this Republican Party for another minute, because today George Santos had a press conference where usually the speaker has a press conference, right? That the steps are usually reserved for the speaker of the House. He's not the speaker. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Not yet. Okay. I I guess I should delete the email that he sent. (laughs) You just ignore it. There's a sort of a narrative arc here that to take you a little bit back, and this is what all the old timers who I serve with tell me, started with Newt Gingrich. He had very masterfully, if you will, in quotations, uh, used C-SPAN to his benefit to, to kind of create theater around politics. And then you had, you know, Donald Trump, who had been a decades-long entertainer, come into politics and, and was had no interest in governing, you know, just had mostly an interest in, in ruling and, and showmanship. And so it's not a surprise that someone like George Santos would say, well, I, I could do that job. I, I could, you know, completely invent a character who would fit into, you know, the circus that Donald Trump has brought to Washington. So this just seems like the natural, logical arc that started a while back and then continued through Trump. 
Yeah, I think that's right. One of the things I had an academic on the podcast earlier, and we were talking about the idea that the Republican Party has turned against democracy, small d democracy. Do you think that's right? And more importantly, I mean, you serve with these people. They're kind of doing a show, right? It's completely a show, and it's for the benefit of, you know, one very corrupt, very dangerous, very incompetent uh, person uh, in and Donald Trump, uh, you know, he is the only, you know, conversion therapy that's ever worked for people that, you know, buy into conversion therapy. They've been converted because so many of them spoke out against Trump, including Speaker Johnson. And to your question of like, do they believe in democracy or not? Go back to the press conference that Speaker Johnson had the night that he was elected by the Republican conference. And he's got the whole conference standing behind him. And, you know, he stands before a microphone, apparently to answer questions. And the first question is about Johnson being the architect of the effort to overturn the election. And he just says no. And the whole conference just starts booing and shaming the reporter in such a barbaric and, and cruel way as if they, they don't have to answer you know, to anyone anymore. And, and so, yes, they are they're anti-democratic and, and they're anti-freedom. We just released an ad and I'll send it to you, but it, it's defining Johnson and it uses that press conference and in the ad, we propose, like, how would he have answered other questions that are important to you, like on abortion, like on uh, no-fault divorces, which he's opposed to. No-fault divorces were actually signed into law for the first time by a little-known Republican <laughs> called Ronald Reagan. Yeah, who had gone through a divorce. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we, we have run this ad where we have kind of a fictitious reporter asking questions about freedom. And we keep going back to each answer with that mob, you know, behind Johnson, just booing them and, and, and shaming the reporters because they, they are a party that's interesting, interested in ruling and in taking away your freedoms. And then they have no interest uh, in governing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely uh, sort of spectacularly fucked up. Let's talk about the House right now. The vote, I think, will be tomorrow, right, for the Santos vote. Yes, so that, that should be tomorrow. Look, I, I think he's a goner. It's shocking to me that it's taken so long. I don't take a vote like this lightly, Molly, and, and I, I get the take that, you know, we've only done this for people who fought for the Confederacy and people convicted of a felony. Except with George Santos, he has admitted to most of what he's been accused of. Now, there's criminal liability that he's facing, but as far as defrauding the voters, he's copped to that. And, and then you have this ethics report as well. I, I do believe that some Republicans are worried that if they throw out Santos, there's a really, really good question as to why won't you throw out Trump? Because, I mean, Trump has more felony charges against him than Santos does. He has admitted, you know, uh, to, was it Billy Bush, you know, that how he treats women and how he views uh, he can do that. So you've got multiple Santos-like or worse admissions from Trump. And so, but it just seems that, you know, the voters like Trump, at least enough of them in the Republican Party, that he's going to be the nominee. And Santos to them is, is just kind of an embarrassment and he's a political liability. It's also Santos is Republicans want to keep the House, which seems unlikely. But for those 
five Republicans in swing districts in New York, Santos is a tangible way to show that they're not partisan, even though they obviously are. That's exactly right. And, and, and they're worried primarily about their own job and being associated with Santos because they all campaign together to flip those New York seats. And so th- this is really, you know, just survival. It, it, there's no, I wouldn't give them any, you know, medals of honor for what they're doing here. And as I said, any good reporter should follow up and say, okay, applying and projecting your logic onto Trump, why have you endorsed Trump? And and it it just doesn't add up. As you're looking at all of this kind of drama in the House and then there's drama in the Senate, just back to this idea of Hakeem Jeffries as the actual Speaker of the House, which I think is is really relevant. It does seem like Mike Johnson is not able to pass a lot of this stuff. Like, so he passed his continuing resolution, which will kick all the spending problems, right, the spending bills until January, but he can't pass some of the underlying bills, right? Talk to us about where you guys are with that. He did exactly what McCarthy did, uh, and it cost McCarthy his job. I I think that's very telling, though, that the Republicans never trusted McCarthy, and they always feared that he was always just about himself, and he, you know, would do anything to stay in power and cut any of these deals. But Johnson, they they know that he is really one of them. He is, you know, an extreme MAGA Republican, proudly calls himself, uh, you know, MAGA Mike. And so he did the same thing and suffered no penalty. And here we are, you know, with uh, 50 days away until another potential government shutdown. And he has said, Speaker Johnson, that he's not going to do another continuing resolution because, again, I, I think he sees that he probably got a mulligan for the first one, but they are empowered, you know, the far, far right to just put another speaker in if he does it again. And so We'll see, Molly. I, I've been in Congress for 11 years, have been through multiple shutdowns. Longer than he has. But Molly, we've never had a shutdown in the last 11 years with multiple shutdowns in an election year. And, and that, I think, is going to be really interesting to see if they want to play with fire. Because again, Democrats will be united. We just want to govern. We want to get shit done. And we recognize we're, we're in the minority. And so we're a firewall to protect against cuts to the Inflation Reduction Act, to the Jobs Act, to the CHIPS Act, what they... And now with the Affordable Care Act, which they want to go after, but it would be playing with fire if he's going to shut down the government rather than pass, you know, a funding bill. And and by the way, they cannot even among themselves pass these different appropriations bills. They're just the failures. They're not fit for governing. That's not what they came here to do. They came here to entertain, and they're finding that uh, the governing part of the job is actually difficult. There have been a lot of retirements this month. I'm not retiring. <laughs> okay, good. Very much wants me to retire. <laughs> there have been a lot of retirements in Congress. I don't know if you read Jay Mart had a really good column on this, and he talked about how like a lot of people retiring are not the superstars like you. Yeah. They're the backbenchers who are quietly doing you know a lot of legislating, largely Republicans, but some Democrats. Those people do not get replaced by people who are the same as them. Right? Talk to us. About about that phenomenon. Most Republicans who retire will be replaced by someone much farther uh, to the right who will likely run, as I said, as a MAGA Republican slash, you know, entertainer. And when I came to Congress, I formed this bipartisan group called United Solutions Caucus. It was the freshman Republican and Democratic members 
in my class, about 30 members in it. We knew we couldn't do big things, but we wanted to focus on building trust and, and working on small pieces of legislation, figuring one day we would all be you know, in leadership and, and we could do big things. Well, when Trump came in, that group evaporated in large part because many of them on the Republican side lost their primaries. And right. so they, they were replaced um, by far-right Republicans. And, and the ones who were still around found that it was very unpopular to, to say publicly that you were working with a Democrat. And, and so again, this has been kind of a long time coming since Trump brought that circus act to town. But for your viewers' sake, who I know, you know, Democrats can be very anxious and, and pessimistic and of the bedwetting lot, we're going to get through this. And, and we should be the confident ones. And I would rather be us than them because Donald Trump, his best day for himself and MAGA was on the election night in November 2016. And he's lost almost everything since. So we, we know how to do it. And so the, the pathway to victory is no different than what we did in 18, what we did in 20 and 22, and we recently did in Ohio uh, and Virginia. And, and by the way, want a flag for you, Molly. Uh, I know you're tracking this because I've seen you post about it. In Florida, they are so close, Republicans, Democrats, independents, to putting abortion rights on the ballot. And, and they're just inches away from having the voter signatures that they need that in November 2024, on the ballot in Florida could be the same abortion uh, legislation that was on the ballot in Ohio and Michigan and Kansas. And that will protect an important right, but also be just a really galvanizing force, put House seats into play and, and send the Senate seat into play. And, and frankly, Donald Trump's going to have to defend Florida because women are not going to want that right taken away uh, in that state. Yeah, that's a Karl Rove playbook. That's a play from the Karl Rove book of putting gay marriage on the ticket 2004 in order to support Bush. And I do think that's a really important thing. When you see the sort of like machinations of getting stuff done in Congress, I mean, is there any way that the, the numbers are so small for Johnson? I mean, I know he's much nicer to deal with or what I've heard from other members of Congress, much nicer to deal with. Kevin people liked, but was dishonest, but nobody liked Jim Jordan. And Mike Johnson is much more likable. But do you think there's any world in which our West Wing fantasy occurs and he makes a deal with Democrats or is it just the party is just too far to the right? Nice is never the problem, right? Right. Well, except with Jim Jordan, I feel like people were just like, he's so mean, we're not going to do this. Yeah, right, right. I say like, nice is not the problem with Johnson. It's just what he right. believes. But he does not have that much to do, if, if we're being honest. He's got to keep the government open and on the needs for Ukraine and the Middle East and, and even the border, where I think Democrats are interested in, in helping there. We have to have a funding package. And I do predict, though, if it's a bundled package of Ukraine, Middle East and border there will be more Democrats voting for it than Republicans again. Yeah. And, and it's a matter of, will they tolerate that and let him stay on as speaker? But after we do that, Molly, there's nothing to do. There's no piece of legislation that Republicans could pass that the Senate would pass and the president would sign into law. So he doesn't really have to do that much. That's why it's just so bewildering that you know we're in this position where we could be in another shutdown because he's actually got just a few things to do. And then we're in the 2024 election. Unbelievable. Eric Swalwell, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Polly. Congressman Robert Garcia represents California's 42nd district. 
Welcome back to Fast Politics, Congressman Robert Garcia. Thank you. Happy to be back. You are in your office. Tell us what you're about to do. Well, I'm about to go to the floor of the House and make the case as to why we should expel George Santos. Walk us through what a privilege resolution is and how this works. Let me go a few months back and explain the process. So about nine months ago, George Santos hit my radar early on. We're both freshman members, saw him at orientation, you know, immediately just got bad vibes. And then, of course, all, all the news about his just deceit and lies started coming out. So I, you know, I called for his expulsion early on when we both got installed to Congress and was the first person to call for his expulsion nine months ago. I made the decision then to put forward an expulsion resolution against him. I reached out to a couple of my colleagues, particularly another freshman, Dan Goldman from New York, who was in my class and I built a relationship with. And, you know, we put forward the expulsion resolution. And by doing that, we essentially triggered a vote of the House. The House put the expulsion resolution forward. And at the time, while Democrats were, were felt really strongly about moving forward, Republicans chose to punt and instead called for this House Ethics Committee report that Kevin McCarthy was trying to put together. And so I, I, I you know, we, that went forward. And here we are nine months later, and the Ethics Committee report is out. It's incredibly damning. And all those folks that weren't on board then should be on board now. And it's time to expel him. And uh, he's got to go for Congress. Republicans could have put up this resolution, right? They chose not to. Right. And so what actually happened like procedurally is when the House opened this week, Republicans could have decided to make the resolution privileged, which essentially means that it forces the vote to happen in the next couple of days. After I had filed my expulsion resolution, they chose not to do so. And so what we did is we basically forced them to file a privileged one themselves, or they would have had to vote it essentially on my resolution. They want to be the ones that actually claim the vote. And so for us, it was always strategies. File a privilege resolution because they hadn't. They, they keep wallowing and wailing about when this is going to happen. So we force the vote. Then they have to file their own privilege resolution later that evening. And now we're forced to have this vote, which will happen tomorrow and will be debated. But we're opening the debate on the vote today. I mean, wouldn't it have looked better for them if they had done it? A hundred percent. We don't know why. I mean, the ethics committee chairman, he actually filed the resolution about a week ago, but did not make it privileged. And so when you file a resolution and you don't make it privileged, it's really up to the speaker at that point to schedule that resolution at some point. But we had no idea when this would happen. They could just stonewall this. I mean, they've, been, they've saved George Santos now multiple times. Why would they do it again? So by us filing it as privileged, we were essentially forcing the vote this week. And so it's a little bit of insurance policy to make sure that they actually did it this week. The report is out, and this guy is a con man of the, you know, Donald Trump order. I mean, he he must be removed immediately. Do you think that part of why they don't want to remove Santos is because they need the votes, or do you think part of the reason they don't want to remove Santos is because these Republicans really know that if they start going after people for doing crimes, right, the leader of their party is facing 91 criminal indictments. I think it's both things. I, I think that you know, the Republican Party is broken. The standard for integrity and for service uh, has been completely changed because of Donald Trump. And so I think that's certainly a piece. And when you have members still defending him, saying, oh, well, you know, he, he deserves a, a day in court, even though the ethics committee has already provided all the evidence, you know, these are folks that love Donald Trump, that will, you know, do whatever they can to support someone that will likely be running for president from jail. And at the same time, I think, you know, they have a slim majority. And, and you know, Santos for, for McCarthy especially was a, was a vote. And so they use, you know, the integrity of the House for power. 
And that's wrong and it needs to end. You're going to go on the floor. Tell us a little bit about how this is going to work now. So because the Republican, we're going to be voting on the Republican privilege resolution that we triggered, there will be a floor debate. You'll be hearing essentially mostly from the New York Republicans, and they'll be making their case. And you'll also hear from me, who, and then I will be, we've negotiated with the Republicans to have floor time so that we would allow them essentially have their resolution come up first. And then I'll speak. He'll have the same amount of time. So we have an hour debate. So she's going to have to defend what we all say. And at the end of that, the debate will close. And then Friday, first thing in the morning, uh, we will take a vote. And then we'll see in who actually can actually has the integrity of the House to do the right thing. I don't know how there could be any member of the U.S. House of Representatives that can read that report and not think this is deserving of expelling from the House. Yeah. You will need two thirds, right, to expel? That's right. We will need essentially a united Democratic caucus, which, which we're going to have. I think close to all the Democrats who had voted not to expel them the last time for a variety of reasons, most of which was they were waiting for the ethics committee report. They've all signaled they're going to vote to expel. And then there were about maybe you know, 24 or 25 Republicans that had voted already to expel him the last time. That number, you, you've had another probably you know, 25 to 30 say on top of them that they're ready to expel them now. And so we're close to the threshold. I mean, we need really about 80 Republicans, depending on the vote count, to ensure that he is expelled. And I think signs point to um, to an expulsion. I mean, you never know. I mean, but certainly these folks aren't exactly um, profiles in courage. And there's not exactly a genius whip counter out there whipping the votes, right? No, these, these people like, have literally no idea what they're doing. It's still uncertain. But look, Either way, either we expel, you know, this complete fabrication of a person from Congress or B, Republicans are going are to have to stand up and say that they once again saved this criminal who has lied, who has stolen, who has cheated, who has already admitted to fraud, who's likely going to jail. And we are going to remind them of that every single day. So that's their choice. Yeah. And it's uh, really an incredible choice, right? You're in Congress now. Why do you think Mike Johnson didn't want this to come up just because he was worried about the votes or you think that he just didn't know how to do it? Or, I mean, do you have a take on that? I just think that he probably is looking at that vote count. I mean, look, he he hasn't come out against the expulsion, which is a decent sign, but he also, of course, has, has endorsed a, a full throttle vote to expel him. And so I think he's, you know, again, he's weak. He has a very thin majority. He doesn't really have a huge constituency even within his own caucus. And so um, I don't know that he honestly has a big following. So I think I think people are going to vote the way they want to vote. And quite frankly, the New York Republicans, I mean, those five New York Republicans are begging their colleagues to please get rid of them. I mean, this is going to, I mean, they, they really want to try to keep the majority, which we're, you know, we are, of course, on our side are intent for that not to happen. Um, they, they need to expel this guy. And he's, and when they're back home, that's all they hear about. And so they are going around doing the best they can to whip their, you know, to whip their members. We are answering questions on our side. And I think you're going to see a bipartisan uni unity tomorrow and we're going to expel him. And, you know, the second that he gets expelled, he will be walked out of the House by the sergeant of arms. And I'm sure he will make an incredible spectacle of it, as he always does. Right. But at least we'll be doing the right thing and be able to move forward without, you know, this kind of circus that he's created. 
Yeah, I'll say really incredible. He gave a press conference today where he wore Ferragamo shoes and also was pretty indignant. Did you watch the press conference? And also he opened the door to trying to go after Representative Bowman. Talk to me about that. I mean, look, he he's delusional. First, I think, like everyone else, I also want to know, where, where did he spend those $6,000 for Obama? Where did he buy? I mean, probably the shoes he was wearing. I mean, who knows? Right, exactly. And Hermes. Maybe it was that pink suit. I mean, I, who knows? I mean, the, the, the Sephora trip, the, the trips around the country, around the world, I mean, all, all the money that he's essentially embezzling is really shameful. And so I think that he is delusional. I think that he's doing whatever he can uh, in, this, in the last few hours of his time in Congress to try to attack others, try to expel Jamal Bowman, which is going to go absolutely nowhere, of course. Only members of his own party have said so. I told him this to his face when we had an online um, conversation over Twitter X spaces, that he should do the country and constituents a favor and just resign. And I'm going to tell him again. Was he mad at you when you said that? Oddly enough, he was not. <laughs> He's such an odd guy. Yeah. Strange. He was. We went into a back and forth and you know, I think our conversation lasted 20 minutes or 25 minutes and you know, and I'll say this, and I want to kind of just say this as well. I like wish him no personal harm. I, I, you know, I, I feel honestly sometimes I'm, I'm saddened by like what he's allowed to happen to himself and to people he represents. But he has to be held accountable, and we have a justice system and a process in the House to deal with this, and he has to live up to. And the fact that he won't give a full throated apology also tells me that he has no remorse. That's very concerning, and he should take the time and go work on his court trial. I mean, he and Donald Trump are going to end up in the same place. Yeah, I mean, he is really facing a lot of legal jeopardy as well. Absolutely. This is going to take up some time now, but then you're going to have time before you start trying to get through the CR. So January is going to be like a pretty much, if you'll excuse my French, a shit show for you guys. Total shit show. Because you're going to have these tiered CRs that you're going to have to negotiate. Do you think Johnson has the will of his caucus or do you think this ends in a shutdown? It's hard to know that he's such an unknown still and has so few relationships with folks, including our own leadership, that it's really hard to know. What, what I think is becoming apparent in the last couple of days is he's trying to you know, shore up his conservative base by moving forward with an impeachment of the president. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, obviously, there's no evidence and there's nothing there. Do you think that impeachment vote is going to take place this week? The impeachment vote for the president will happen after some kind of formal inquiry that they will do. Are they going to do the vote on starting the inquiry? Because he said they were he was going to do a vote the way that McCarthy didn't. But do you think that happens? And if so, do you think that happens soon? Yeah, I mean, I think if he chooses to move forward and makes the final decision that they're going to go for the impeachment, I think the impeachment inquiry vote, I think, is likely to happen. I think he's, he has said so, but we we just don't know yet. And so the reality is that anything these Republicans say, especially the leadership, basically, they just flip-flop. They lie, they say one thing, they say another thing. You know, you, you can't trust what they say, and that's, I think that's the problem. And that ultimately was the end of McCarthy, right? He just couldn't, people wouldn't trust him. They wouldn't trust him and they didn't like him. And I think that's a big part of it, too. I think he just made a lot of enemies really fast. 
But we really could be facing down another shutdown. I mean, we could be, and I, I hope to God we're not. You know, there's millions of people that depend on jobs and these federal jobs and benefits. And it's, it's just, re- it's really sad and it hurts real people. And like the way that some of these House Republicans just kind of laugh it off, like it's some big joke, I think is really disgraceful. So yeah, it's a, it's a really serious issue. And I think it'll become kind of crystal clear by Christmas what the direction of the Republicans are going to be. Are you worried about Republicans trying to enact revenge for Santos, despite the fact that Santos is not trying to impeach Biden is a way of Trump enacting revenge. Do you worry that Republicans will try that with sort of revenge for Santos kind of scenario? Perhaps, but at the end of the day, the vote's going to be bipartisan. And I think Republicans want him gone too. I think he he is the real aberration. I mean, he, he, is some, he is someone that is, these kind of people usually don't exist in, in Congress. I mean, he's a walking lie. You know, I don't put it past Republicans to do just about anything. I mean, they're absolutely horrible legislators. So they're going to continue <laughs> to do things like try to impeach, you know, President Biden or impeach Secretary Mayorkas or whatever other kind of crazy plan or insane like plan they have. Right. And so I think it's our job is just to focus on good governing, on integrity and uh, winning the House back. And I think winning the House, we got to we got to get the House back and take the gavels from these lunatics. Thank you so much, Congressman. Absolutely. Anytime. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. Molly Jung fast, you know. James Comer initially told Hunter Biden he could choose to testify in private or public, but, whoa, James Comer's word never means a thing. Yeah, so Republicans are completely obsessed with Hunter Biden. They're hoping that it will muddy the waters, that this will be the corruption that will make a false equivalency between Biden and Trump. They are going to do it in any way they can. I think the reason why they want Hunter to testify in a private forum is because the last two hearings they held that were like this, uh, the one about impeaching Biden, right, and the last weaponization of government committee hearing, both of those made Republicans look really stupid. And even the most recent hearing on gun violence yesterday, They kind of look like morons. So I do think Republicans in Congress are getting more and more concerned about how they look during these hearings. But let me just say, James Comer, who thinks he's too smart by half for doing this hearing in private, he doesn't get the publicity. He can't drive the news cycle if no one sees the hearing. So there we have James Comer, checkmate liberal. You've checkmated yourself and you are our moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.